Hello and welcome to Utopia Stephen Chicken here, joined as usual by David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? <laughs> I wasn't expecting such a loud hello. That's taken me back a little bit. That is, it's the usual welcome. I mean, it's just big kind of, hello. Well, the we won't go into the usual welcome. The usual welcome is you say a word and I say a very rude word to put you off right from the off. But we've not <laughs> done that today. You've outwitted me with volume. All you need to do. That's why Pantene. Uh, and all those other hair products go for volume as one of their selling points because you can outwit people with it. It helps. Huddersfield Town 2, Bristol City nil. Probably the game people have cared about least this season, in truth. Mm. It was real party atmosphere, party time at the John Smith Stadium. I think eyes were on results elsewhere as much as they were on what was happening on the pitch, which was probably just as well, second half, where there was nothing major to write home about. A much rotated side, six changes, Carlos Corbrand said he focused on what was best for individuals rather than what was best for the collective for this game. I mean, that that was the right approach right off the bat, wasn't it, Dave? Yeah, definitely. And I, like it was a 2-0 win anyway. <laughs> it was an yeah, entirely was routine it. performance. So it's it's almost not worth discussing in a funny sort of way. I think um it was good to see a couple of those players playing slightly different roles, you know, we'll get on to Dwayne Holmes, John Russell playing as a proper six. Um but yeah, it was it was essentially, despite having, we hope, three competitive games of the season left, it was essentially their first pre-season friendly. It was weird. Yeah, and it and it sort of felt like it as well. I think I said in the conclusions that it felt that the game that it reminded me of most was the trip to play Southport in, in the <laughs> summer when it was, I think that was the first game back in front of the fans and everyone was just delighted yeah, was. to be watching a game of football. Everyone was having an ice cream and wearing their shorts. And it, it sort of, <laughs> that's what the atmosphere felt like to me. Just everyone who was, everyone was just happy to be at a game of football. I think... If Town had ended up finishing fourth, people would have said they didn't care. Obviously, when that goal went in against Forest late on, there were celebrations. I think part of that was probably the fact it was Forest. Part of it was probably, yes, we finished third. We're the third best team in the championship. And you, you felt like part of it was uh, we've got Luton Town, but we'll, we'll get on to that um, later on. But... Yeah, Harry Toffolo gets the first goal. I mean, we've talked... To, in fact, I think we didn't even talk about his goal-screen form <laughs> last week because we just got so used to it at this point. But five in seven is a ridiculous return to for, for a left-back. And you said on the, the post-match Facebook line that is really... The goal that he scored here was very much a goal scored by a player who is in that kind of goal-screen form. Yeah, Harry Maradona, though. Um yeah, he, he that's better than Harry Golofalo as Michael Heffler tried, yeah. which is very reminiscent of Robert Lewandowski for me. But there you go. Yeah, the, it it was a great run, but there, there's a moment where he tries to push it past the defender, and he gets the break of the ball, comes right back into his path, and yeah, it's exactly the thing that happens when you're on a when you're on a run like this, isn't it? And the thing was. It was a weird game anyway, but as, as soon as that goal went in, Bristol had zero interest in the game. They they were, I think they were they were quite up and up for it until that point, and then it was just became an exercise in one team who just wanted it to end so they could all catch their flights to Dubai or whatever, and another who just wanted it to end because they just wanted to get on to the next 
<laughs> you know, the next challenge to go to the thing that really matters. So it was strange, but Toffolo sort of quietly become over the last sort of month or so arguably town's most important player and yeah how good it is to have him in this sort of form going into the playoff semi-finals and danny ward the second goal uh a little bit of look on that there was a bit of look for toffolo it, it kicked, as he tried to sort of jink his way through it came off a defender's leg and then bounced into his path anyway set up really nicely for him for the finish and there was a bit of look on Danny Ward's as well where you know he slides in it's uh, Dwayne Holmes's pass into the box and it was not the first time they'd twi- tried that ball D- Dwayne Holmes was getting in up that right hand side constantly him and Pippa particularly as the first half went on were just getting in constantly and constantly mostly by virtue in James Holmes's case of being the only player for either side perhaps apart from Danny Ward who even looked remotely bothered about chasing mm. down um <laughs> loose balls but um no, they they got in up that right and it's a nice ball in, slides in and takes a deflection off the defender and then hits Ward again on its way in. Nice for him to get a goal after a, a, a couple of games out injured. I know he came on against Coventry, but, you know, he, he had his form had goal scoring form, at least had sort of dipped a little bit even before his injury. So important for him to get on the score sheet as well, isn't it? Yeah, goal and assist, um, which is always yeah. always nice and when the old bonus part of the paycheck comes in, isn't it? Um, yeah, and we all know how good Danny Ward's been this season and how important he is, he is going forward, really, in these Luton games where the, Luton are a side who you have to sort of press and harry, really. You yeah. don't want to... Town beat them, one of the, the tactics that we spotted straight away was they they were just trying to cut off the easy ball into midfield so that they could start to work the ball through the lines quicker and they'll do exactly the same thing and Danny Ward's just such a massive massive part of that really and yeah it was good to see him get his goal I gave it to him immediately Opta wanted to give it as a an own goal at first and I said no that's a Danny Ward goal so yeah I'll have it. Uh, any uh, any contribution you want to make to the David Hartrick relief fund is is fine by me, Danny. Um, but yeah, and like at half time, it was quite. I don't know. I think the the ref could have just blown up at half time, and there would have been nobody in the stands on the pitch or anywhere who would have argued either. Which is just such a strange sensation for a for a, a championship game. We're not really used to having that level of release really and relief at a game it was it was odd but it was very enjoyable I thought but if you're gonna if you've tuned into this pod and you're wanting an in-depth analysis of that second half I'm afraid me and Stephen haven't got it and you're a weirdo (laughs) um yeah I mean I thought it was interesting just sort of seeing what the a few different players did and a few sort of tactical things I think it was notable that he obviously used Tom Lee's one half, Jonathan Hogg in the other, but both of them played that central defensive role. Do you feel like that is Hoggy's shirt now and that is his place in this side, is, is playing in the middle of that back three at this point? I th- Pearson's injury is probably a big factor. I yeah, suppose, that's it? that's the issue. That's the factor. I think, I think more than being comfortable in the role, it's more that you want Jonathan Hogg in the side for the playoff yeah. semi-finals because of the other stuff he brings... So it feels like the most natural place to put him now. Um, and it, it also it's also a position that allows him to sort of adjust for certain areas of his game, etc. So, yeah, um, 
I can only see Town going with a three at the back against Luton because of yeah. the way they set up. So they it is vital that they they have the right men for those roles with with Matty Pearce. We don't I mean we can report he was walking around as everybody saw, you know, he was walking around absolutely fine, but yeah, it would be a bold shout I think just to throw him into the semi-finals right now. So it does look like Carwell Hogg and Lees doesn't it at the minute. It does. And I think it's interesting that we've seen Town play three at the back so often because I know that Carlos Gorbrand, generally speaking, if the opposition play a front two, Town play a back three, and if they play a lone striker, then it's a back four. But we have, we, there was a spell this season, the second half of the season, where, well, we've seen it both ways. Sort of in the first half of the season, there was a long, long spell where they played three at the back, regardless of what the opposition were doing. And there was a, a, there were a few games in the second half of the season where they came up against a front two and still played. Uh, a four at the back and against Reading they sprung a surprise by playing a front two but you know there's been other games like Sheffield United for instance where they've played the back four despite knowing that the opposition were going to play a front two so I think it's interesting that you've you've sort of you've lost one of those defenders in Matty Pearson and yet this looks like being the way to go but I, I don't disagree with it I think it's I think it's worked well I think I don't I, think he was brilliant again. Go on. Well, I I think that it, I think the way Town play it, it also gives them a little bit in midfield as well. That's the thing. It's, exactly. That's exactly. that's the other benefit of it. It's not just about how you set up against how they're coming for you. And the one thing Luton look to do is shift the ball through midfield really quickly. So having an extra body in there is is a good thing. I think. Yeah, I think that three five two sort of gives them the best of several different worlds because mm. we'd seen them play in a front two more and more often. They've played four four two quite a few times. I think part of that was because Jordan Rhodes was was playing and he's much more comfortable in a two. But you know, we we'd seen it even before then with Danny Ward that played. You know, Danal Sinani alongside him, Sorba Thomas, Lewis O'Brien, Dwayne Holmes, and I think particularly with Sorba Thomas out. The three-five-two suits them really well for the reasons you say that it gives you the extra man in midfield, and we have talked throughout the season, even when things are good, just saying mm, that's maybe the area where things are a little bit less convincing. But I think having Russell in front of Hogg gives protection to Russell, and also means that your your number six, who's playing from the base of the defensive midfielder, is more of a player who is in what we imagine the Carlos Gorbrand mould of a defensive midfielder to be, which mm. is a a big rangy ball player and then either side you can have two very energetic players playing ahead of Russell who can then sit back a bit and look to receive the ball and recycle the play out to the flanks which he does so well in the final third and Lewis O'Brien I think is nailed on to be one of those of of course when he's back fit and we're told that by Carlos Corbran that his injury is not thought to be serious I, I would be I would be quite surprised based on what we've been told if he was out of the playoffs, to be honest. But obviously everyone's going to have their fingers crossed. And then on the other side, I think it's at the moment a straight toss-up between Scott High and Dwayne Holmes, unless you were to drop Danel Sinani back in there. I'm not a big Finan. I'm not a big Finani of Sinani in central midfield. So for me, it would be High or Holmes. But I think both of them have acquitted themselves quite well over the past couple of games. Yeah, I think... It was it was interesting to watch Dwayne Holmes in that game because Dwayne Holmes and Ollie Turton for me were the the two who really played that game like it mattered, and 
I think Holmes, he does know it was a little bit of an audition, mm. and he does he does want that role. So yeah, I I think it would be a big shout to put Scott High into that role because it's yeah. a very high pressure game. Playoff championship playoff games are different. They are yeah. different. So I agree. Yeah, I I, I think it will probably be Holmes, and I think that's probably the the right decision. But it's. I don't know. The the more and more I look at sort of town squad, I think the less and less I ever want to see Sonani anywhere other than where he plays over on that right hand side predominantly, or as a bit of a second striker. Because it doesn't matter who you put him up against in terms of dropping him back into midfield. I just don't think he measures up against even no. a Scott High when he plays in that role. Uh, I think he has to be higher. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It well, it will be Russell O'Brien and and Holmes, I suspect. If it is a three-five-two, I mean, we've rattled on about on here in the podcast, and and I went on on and on about it in the five conclusions as well. Of course, now Carlos Corbran being Carlos Corbran will spring a surprise and play a four-four-two or a three-four-three. But no, it's um they've got those options. Obviously, they've got injuries as well. Before we move on to the players that are out, Carolitin, what what did you make to his performance? <laughs> I thought there's a young man who's trying too hard. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. It, me and you did the Barnsley away game um, where he played and he looked brilliant and he was quite clearly playing to try and stay in the team and it didn't happen and he's not had an awful lot of football to say the very least. And he just looked half a yard off. Um, he, wasn't, he wasn't getting into the sort of Carolighting spaces and his passing radar was a little bit off. Still excellent touch. Still the odd moment of of real class. But yeah, I I I mean I really like Iting, but I think Iting is um because of the the problems he's had with injuries and he has had a career that has been a bit stop start. He's just such a rhythm player. You know he he needs. When he's at his best is when he's been in the side for three or four games in a row and he knows his role and he's confident and he's confident in his body. It's it's He always needs a bit of a run-up and, yeah, he just looked, I thought, slightly off it. Um, but again, what an option to have on the bench, isn't it? That's it. And Tino Andrian came on as well, of course. You could really sense after what he did against Coventry that the fans were absolutely desperate to see him put in a, a similar performance on this occasion. He's got a couple of chants now, hasn't he? Not just the Tino, Tino, he's got his own song. Yeah, and to go. be to be fair, he did nearly score right at the very yeah. end, didn't he? He was, the one who was, he was the one who came on and was full of running and was just driving at people, but he's a he's an interesting player Andrew, going into these playoffs because last 20 minutes of the game after what will be very tight very compact and probably quite stressful games he's a very very good man to bring on because you know exactly what he's going to do and that's get on the ball and run straight at very tired defenders isn't it yeah absolutely I think maybe at this point playing him from the bench might be the way to go but I think it depends on what personnel are available because I, I agree I think if if he's not available Sonani maybe I would I would have to partner Danny Ward up front assuming that Silver Thomas isn't able to start as well now we obviously know it's going to be touch and go with him and Matty Pearson I agree with you I think well I don't know if I do agree with you with Matty Pearson actually I think it would be a bold chance to throw him straight back in after an injury but I think of all the positions where you can do that centre-back is probably the more manageable it's not like you're expecting him to put in you know 15 kilometres 
in central midfield. And I, and I don't think it's quite the same as being a you know a centre forward where you need to have your touch and you need to have your eye in and and there's sort of rust to shake off. But at the same time, there is that element of he hasn't played for well since March, so mm. it would be a bit of a bold shout. I think putting Sorba Thomas in. I mean, we don't know, do we? Because we we're not. I, we're not. I think like if if Sorba Thomas is fit, you've got to start Sorba Thomas because. <sighs> It's his delivery from set pieces, set which pieces. is yeah. what has been Town's chief weapon this season. And there's, there's... I thought you'd been Town's chief weapon this season. Well, I, th- I thought you were after that penalty on uh, on Saturday. <laughs> Never mind, we will get back to that at some point. We will circle back to your dizzy penalty. Um, but no, I I just particularly if you're gonna if you're gonna stack the side with the likes of sort of a John Russell with one of his big upsides, one of the big advantages being his threat from set pieces, you want your best set piece take on the pitch. And Sonani is okay. I think Sonani is okay at them, but he's not got that sort of metronomic delivery that that Thomas has where you just always you know nine out of ten are going to be more or less on the money um so yeah I, if he's fit he plays even if he can only play an hour Steve I think he starts would you stick him up top or would you put him at right yes. wing back no I'd put I'd stick him up, up top, top. Me too. I think Me too. the th- the thing about Pippa is that he's come back in and he's no he's he's form wise he's nowhere near the Pippa we we saw last season at his best and i think there are lots of reasons for that and you know a few caveats we can we can make but he's done enough over the last couple of weeks to show that he's at least if nothing else i think he's nearly tip top physically um his pace and his speed is back there was a couple of really nice moments in the game against bristol i know it was a funny game to judge but there was a couple of really nice moments defensively where he he got back and he did the right things it's, his attacking radar is slightly off, I think, at the moment. But mm, I agree. But that's the thing you can. I think that's the thing you compromise if you've got his pace that side in terms of recovery and closing down. So I think you play Pippa there and you have Thomas in the in the two, and I think Sonani goes on the bench for me. But that's that's just my opinion. We're almost. Um, we didn't really discuss this before we came on, but we're basically building a team here. And from the discussion we've had, I think we're on exactly the same page in in all areas. So. The team that we've pretty much just come to there, I think we've run through all of it, and apart from a couple that you can take as red, we have got Lee Nichols in goal. You wouldn't have Jamal Blackman? No, I had Ryan Schofield. Okay, okay. Uh, Tom Lees, Jonathan Hogg, Levi Colwell, Pippa, Dwayne Holmes, John Russell, Lewis O'Brien, Harry Toffolo, Sorba Thomas, and Danny Ward. Now, obviously, there's a couple there who was disastrous next to over fitness, but I think that seems like a decent side doesn't it it does and it it gives you a bench of of like depending which way you go on the bench but you could have iting Rhodes, karoma Anjurin, sinani that's loads of ways to change it attacking wise isn't it sorry even if you yeah. wanted to put someone on for a set piece yeah so i i just can't i think when you get to the playoffs I'm a bit of an advocate of you need to play your 11 best players, you know, even if it means compromising in a couple of areas. They're cup ties, essentially, so you want the people that you know can make a difference in in key moments, you know, just give you that flash of something a little bit different. So, yeah, I think we're on the same page there. 
Luton Town it is then. There was the late drama at Hull City. We were sort of the town was sort of scrambling. They wanted to get it up on the big screen, didn't they? The, yeah, yeah. When the games were and who they'd be playing, <laughs> and then I think they had it all ready. And then for it, I shouted across, "No, there's been a penalty to Forest, and they've scored it." And then I think they changed everything. <laughs> had to shout back across. No, Hull have equalised. Scramble again. I mean, would there have been... How do you see the playoffs, first of all? Do you think there would have been a big difference between the four sides they, they could possibly have got? So we're talking Sheffield United, Luton, Millwall or Middlesbrough? I I think there was a lot of... Like, if you're in the playoffs, anyone you play, you're, you're going to be up against a good side. And I think there's was a lot of people who wrote off... Millwall was only ever an outside chance, and I think they would yeah. have been an absolute stinker of a semi-final I, yeah, for whoever got them. Because um, they're just that sort of side, and they'd have just made life so uncomfortable. Middlesbrough aren't ready yet. They're, they're, I have a feeling Middlesbrough will be very strong next season once Chris Wilder has had a proper transfer window and a proper pre-season with a, with a squad. So they were always on the outside. But I think a lot of... I, I have spoke briefly about Sheffield United and I do think Sheffield United are a very dangerous side because I just think they're a squad that they don't like the the, the week to week. I think they're built for one offs and I wouldn't be surprised if they came alive a bit in these semi these these playoffs. But I've seen a lot of people quite dismissive of Luton and that slightly worries me because I think you're forgetting Luton are a very very decent side very well organized side and you know yeah town beat them 2-0 at the John Smiths but it is it is the playoffs they've got town and, uh, and Carlos Corbran was very quick to point out that they missed that penalty in mm. that game and if that penalty had gone in he thinks it would have been a different result yeah so I, I, and I don't think either of us disagreed with that either to be fair and I think the other thing is they're going they're starting away they've not won down there since Luton have been in the championship they've both been no. draws haven't they I think um, yeah they've they've had their record against each other they've each got one home win and all the other games have been draws yeah um, so I don't in fact have Town even scored at Kenilworth Road since they've gone back I can't remember was yeah. one of them a 1-1 one, yeah, one yeah. draw yes one Nabi, was one, one draw. Saw and, header wasn't it yeah and they had the the, the when Mark Hudson was in caretaker charge uh, Carlin Grant scored one that was definitely not his it was an own goal it was a 2-1 <laughs> defeat so yeah so i think it's i think it's a dangerous semi-final to be to to feel overly confident about but i think they're all they all would have been tough games all would have been tough games i've just yeah. the the one to avoid for me genuinely was millwall because that honestly <laughs> that really would have been a, a real grind of 180 minutes i think probably on paper, if you had to pick, you'd probably you'd probably would go for uh, between Sheffield United and Luton. Probably would go for Luton. The misgivings I have are the timing of it. I think if they'd played, I think we said this before, but if they'd played fourth versus fifth, it would have been Saturday afternoon mm. and then Tuesday evening. Instead, it's Friday evening away at Luton and then Monday evening. And yeah. not to labour the point because we've talked about it both on this podcast and and in the the paper, but. Town have struggled. I mean, even by Harry Toffler's admission, he talked about when they went to to QPR and then came back up and and played Middlesbrough on the Saturday, mm. and that was one of their worst, probably their worst performance of the season. And 
similarly went and played Millwall and then came back and and lost 3-0 to Bournemouth so you know as he said you can't inject players with sleep so I think in terms of recovery time it's not ideal but you've got to play against what you're up against and I think if they adrenaline is going to be so important in these games I think and if they can go to Kenilworth Road and get a result then it sets it up really nicely for the John Smiths. It's really finely poised because Town are the best attacking against the the rest of the top six. Town are the best away team in the division. But at home, they're one of the weakest and Luton are the opposite. Luton of the six in the play of the sorry of the four in the playoffs. Luton are the strongest at home, <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's really, really. And the other, t- by the way, the other fixture is is very similar. Forest's away record is much better than their home record, and and Sheffield United are not far behind Luton for their home record. So, both games are really interesting. The first legs because you've got strong away teams going against mm-hmm. strong home teams. I, yeah, I think the other, I think the other side in both ties is, I think the home side for the first leg of both. Would uh, would actually be, they'd both be quite happy or more than happy to take a draw and turn the away leg into a winner takes all one off game. I think they're 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 both sides. They're all sides that are quite happy with a one off scenario, which is what effectively comes after a draw. So it's why I think it's quite a I think it's quite a dangerous draw. And I think like Forest momentum has has started a little bit, but obviously mm-hmm. that game against Hull was a slightly weird one because I think they made was seven changes I think they made um, and I think they bought uh, they bought a couple of weird players on as well I know they bought Brennan Johnson on to try and change it a little bit but so yeah I, I don't know it, it they're, they're two very interesting semi-finals I think for for different reasons and I think I think town I have spoken to a few town fans who like I say are sort of really super confident and I, I just that worries me slightly because yeah they're no <laughs> mugs looting and this I, the other thing I see is that you know they're people talking about oh there's this real injury crisis and what yeah. have you that's not actually really the case <laughs> They've no, got, I, you know, like Adebayo's, he he's out, isn't he? I believe so, as far as I'm aware. And then it's the goalkeeper, isn't it? That's I think that's yeah. where it's coming from because they've had so, to get an well, emergency keeper. They did. They did have quite a few out against Fulham. They were sort of they were in double figures on their injuries. A couple of them were goalkeepers. Jed Steer being one of them, of course, uh, formerly of this parish. Not this podcast. He's never been on the podcast, as far as I'm aware. But. Um, you know, they had James Bree out, Sonny Bradley, Luke Berry, Alan Campbell, Peli Rudder Kampanzu, Adebayo, Harry Cornick. They lost on Yudinma during the Fulham game as well. So they did have quite a few players out against Fulham. But then against Reading, they got Bradley back, Bree back, Campbell back, Cornick back. And he scored the goal that you always love to see. <laughs> uh, have you seen it, Dave? I have, yes, I have. Is it your favourite type of goal? Uh, I think I said in a chat the other day my favourite type of goal at the moment is the like the one Danny Ward scored against West Brom or Sadio Mane scored against City where he just charged down the keeper but I don't think yeah I think it is hard to beat for comedy value the old goalkeeper rolls it out and the striker just runs around takes the ball and taps it in yeah. um, lovely stuff but you know that they've got a lot of those 
players back now. I think they're hoping to get one or two more back as well. So I think probably their injury situation at the moment probably isn't far worse than than Towns is, uh, other than in goal. And in goal, that's the one position where you are allowed to call in an emergency Mm. goalkeeper. So and they got who did they they went and got the lad from Hull who's actually pretty good, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. He's he's cancelled his honeymoon to come and play for him. Yeah, and he's not he's not a bad keeper. It's not like they've had to go and get (laughs) Richard Wright out of retirement or something. (laughs) So yeah, I David James is a Luton fan. See what he's up to. I, I think, like all joking aside, I, it's. I just think Town have got to be very cautious going into that first leg because yeah. it, it's Luton are the sort of side who can make it very, very difficult for you, or they're quite capable of going and scoring two goals in three minutes, and suddenly mm. it's a it's an uphill task. So it really is a sort of a, a little bit of a banana skin, I think, but. They have got the comfort and the safety blanket of that that second leg at home. I know what you're saying about the home and away records, but if and, you look... and on that Luton's away record against the top six is dreadful. Yeah, <laughs> and I think Town have the very recent memory of beating them at the John Smiths, and yeah. we know we're we're recording this on the Monday. We've seen on social media the the demand for tickets and people talking <sighs> yeah. about it, etc. So it's going to be absolutely buzzing to say the the very very least so yeah and just just to say on that we did talk about the in quite some length the ticket allocations <laughs> and the the blue and white club versus loyalty points um a few weeks ago so we're not going to spend another 10 minutes the on last q and a podcast for people who want to want to hear us waffle on yeah exactly so yeah um but <sighs> Yeah, I think it's a, a really, really tough pair of games. And, you know, you're saying it worries you. I don't think there's any worry that that's going to filter through to the players, no. um, in no. truth. And, you know, uh, Dean Hoyle was on the radio straight away afterwards saying how he thought it was going to, he thought whoever they got, it was going to be a really tough game, rightly so. And he's asked the fans and said, look, it's all very, it's fantastic if you want to get behind us when we're on top and things are going well. But when the players really need you is when mm. things are against us and things are not going great. And there are going to be moments of adversity in these games because it's inevitable. So we need you to be loud and singing and getting behind the team when things are, are not going well. We obviously know that they've, I mean, I'm sure they've sold out the away ticket allocation because I think there are about 20,000 town fans wanted to go to that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I imagine it will be a sellout or close to it for the, for the home game uh, as well. Even my wife's got a ticket, uh, which we paid for, by the way. So we've not uh, we've not <laughs> called in any favors on that one. But um, no, it's uh, it's it's a huge, huge pair of games. I don't think anyone's going to be getting ahead of themselves in that squad. No, no, that's the one thing we know about Carlos Corbran's Huddersfield Town, isn't it? That they will they will prepare the right way. They will do the homework, etc. It's it's just I think what worries me slightly is that I. <laughs> I just I've seen Luton a lot, and I know what Luton can do, um, and they can just take the game away from you in ten minutes. And Town have just got to be very. I think it's more for me that in the very different atmosphere of playoff football, because it is different from a normal Championship game. Mm. They have to just keep their heads, keep their mentality. I, I don't. If they got, there's only going to be. I mean, surely there's only Jonathan Hogg and Tom Lees in that side that have actually experienced playoff games before. Uh, 
I Chris think, Wardy. Yeah, but I think he must have done. Did he? Did or did they go up automatic? No, he went up automatic with Cardiff, didn't he? No, but Wardy would. No, of course Wardy was at town yeah. <laughs> for the yeah. playoffs. Uh, once upon a time, I think a few of them have, have done it. To be mm. fair, you know Harry Toffolo has, has experienced. I think a lot of them have experienced a promotion. I don't know how many of them have experienced the playoffs specifically. Mm. Um, Dwayne just Holmes gotta, does, doesn't he? They've just got to keep their heads. You know, it's yeah. it's their their mentality games. I think playoff semi finals. So yeah. I don't know. I I think, I think I'm in a strange position of sort of believing genuinely Huddersfield Town are favourites and that they're favourites for a reason. But I I'm just sort of I'm trying to temper any optimism really with the fact that they are playing a very good side and that you know it's not like they've dropped on and got Barnsley for two games somehow, is it? No. Well, I wanted to come on to this actually because i think town town fans are in a, a strange position at the moment and i'll be writing a piece about this when, when we get off the podcast about i think it's almost part of town's dna and it's almost baked into the fan culture for huddersfield town to see themselves as the underdogs isn't it mm. you know i think understandably after sort of you know the way that they've been talked about in the premier league etc town and particularly with that by their nearby neighbors that town fans do have a bit of a chip on the shoulder about being seen as a smaller club they like to talk about being written off and how no one's given them a chance etc but i feel like they're in a strange position now where they are almost the overdogs going into these playoffs yeah. because you know i've seen so, people so on... underrated they're now rated yeah i've seen people on twitter saying you know we've been written off all season and yeah. blah 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 it's like you've got You've had nothing but praise for about four or five months, yeah. even from national media. You've had national journalists from the Telegraph and the, the the Athletic and God knows who else coming down to talk to Carlos Corbran and write about what a brilliant you know season Huddersfield Town are having. You've got not the top twenty talking about what a good season Town are having. We've had at least three managers, and it's Chris Wilder, Steve Morrison, and Russell Martin have all said. Huddersfield Town are the model to follow mm. for next season. We want to replicate what Huddersfield Town have done next season and, and have a better year of it. I was asked last week to write a piece for Wales Online talking about what is the Huddersfield Town blueprint, what has made them so good this season. They are in the best form of any of the teams going into the playoffs. Mm. They are in the best form they have been in terms of results uh, that they've been in since February 2017. They've had 19 points in the last seven games. They've finished third, so they've finished highest in the table out of everyone. All the indicators are, and I doubt the bookies are reflecting this, but all the indicators are that Huddersfield Town should be the favourites for this because they are going in in such good form, having finished third. And we know that form does matter in the playoffs, even if we sort of sometimes talk as though it doesn't. And obviously you still need to you know, work in the playoffs. You can't just doss it off and assume you're there. But it's a strange position for them to be in and you just hope that they they can take confidence from that without getting overconfident I think. Yeah definitely and I think you're exactly right I think I've seen quite a lot of fans on social media sort of saying you know they they said we wouldn't uh they said we wouldn't do it they said we wouldn't finish third etc but I, I think if you said well who is they <laughs> I think what it actually comes down to is quite is a handful of vocal Nottingham Forest fans yeah exactly <laughs> um I think the media is is quite quite in love with Huddersfield Town and Carlos Corbran at the moment um and I don't know I, you see my 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 opinion on this 
as Steve knows, goes right back to the Premier League in that I don't think there's anything wrong with having a little bit of a swagger and a little bit of arrogance. I think the the working class club thing is a great angle for as sort of a baseline, as sort of a club motto, etc. But I don't think there's anything wrong with when times are good with having a little bit of swagger. <laughs> and that's what they are at the moment. You know, you don't you don't have to sort of perpetually paint yourself as an underdog or, you know, the the, the boxer with one arm time behind his back. Because town really aren't. They're a good side. So actually revel in the fact that you're a good side. You know, don't don't have all the other baggage. But also it's a very unusual situation for, for town fans to be in. There's the Premier League like the, the promotion to the Premier League and then staying in there for a season is like a little island in Huddersfield Town history over the last you know in terms of generations of fans that go to the games now and have been watching the yeah. club so it's also completely understandable yeah absolutely it, it's it's why I think some fans struggle with the relegation from the Premier League because they genuinely didn't know where to place town in their own mind should they be pushing immediately for promotion where they're going to go straight back to being a bottom eight club should they be comfortably in mid-table it was it was you know there are a lot of people who just genuinely didn't know where to where to have their expectations i think here like you say they're they're favorites they're 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 third for a reason you can't finish third in the championship by accident can you steve no exactly and they have deserved their there where they finished you know Nigel Pearson came out after the game and said he feels like Huddersfield Town are one of the best teams they've played all season and that he feels they're up there with with Fulham and, and Bournemouth which you know the league table reflects you know those results against Bournemouth go the other way and the two teams swap places so you know I, that's I'd hate these kinds of ifs and buts but I think there's some validity in pointing out how how close those those margins are this season and how close they were to being one of those those top two sides um and i think things are, are looking good i think even if the worst comes to the worst this is a, a point we're keen to stress i think unless they go and lose five nil against luton mm. i think even if they were to have like a heroic failure in the playoffs you know they lose on penalties in the semi or by the odd goal or they lose in the the, the final sort of almost by any scoreline or in any circumstance to be honest I feel like people will come away disappointed but feeling very proud and excited and hopeful for next season yeah you know it'll, it'll sting for a few days and then people will be looking forward to next season again and I think there's there's good reason for for people to feel that way if if it goes the other way and they do get promoted well we'll, we'll talk about it at the time because i think we we for all we talked about what would you do in terms of signings etc last week i think we're both quite keen not to get ahead of ourselves mm. um because i was tempted on sunday when i saw some town fans gloating about uh forest and gloating about leeds to run little fan reaction stories on that mm. and i thought that's the kind of thing that He's just yeah. going to give ammunition to Forest and Leeds fans if Town don't win the playoffs, isn't it? You know, using yeah. those headlines. So we're trying not to get ahead of ourselves, but I think obviously we need to go out of our way to say what an enormous amount of credit everyone at that club deserves for what's happened this season from Lee Bromby, Josh Marsh, Carlos Corbran and his coaching staff, the players, you know, Dean Hoyle, Phil Hodgkinson, everyone really has has 
brought this all together and and they've had a fantastic 46 games yeah they have they have if ifs and buts were candy and nuts then every day would be unto donkfest and if you get that reference we can be friends um yeah that that's the thing it is a collective it was one of the things i stressed on the the extra time show after the game against bristol it, this season has been a collective effort because the one thing that town have been this season is is better than the sum of their parts that's the thing they that's what they've achieved and managed to do consistently where other teams with squads that I would argue you know on paper you look at them and you think well that squad should be should be challenging for playoffs etc they've not been able to do it because they just haven't got their crap together this season and town have been I've said it on here I've said it in in on the club feed I've said it in writing town at the moment are just a well-run club on the pitch and off the pitch and that is a lovely position to be in because that alone takes you so far in a league full of clubs mm. that are <laughs> directionless. Yes, I, I Don't run have a plan. I run less than well, shall we say? And let's leave it at that before we start ranting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good stuff. Right? Did you want to talk about that dizzy penalty, Dave? <laughs> well. I mean, I think you say, do I? I think the people are demanding it, Stephen. I mean, to talk us through it, the town have brought back dizzy penalties. You were asked to do one. It, It was, I will say, if you're going to do a dizzy penalty, this is by no means taking the mickey out of you because if you're going to do a dizzy penalty and you don't fall over, what's the point in taking one? Yeah. It's like going on total wipeout and winning. Yeah. Like, yeah. No one wants to watch that. No. No. So talk us through it then. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to sort of belabor the point because I've tweeted about it multiple times and I wrote a, a thousand <laughs> words about it uh, on Sunday. So, you know, f- just skip to the end. of the- Just turn the podcast off now if you're not interested because I know that this is probably going to be quite annoying and not of interest to anyone. It's a bit self-indulgent. But, yeah, the, the club... Basically, that I when I found out at the QPR game that they were bring that they had brought it back, but I didn't actually see it. So this was sort of the the main issue. Really, was I hadn't because I missed the Barnsley game with that stomach bug. Um, I hadn't actually seen them done, and I assumed that it was going to be in the full size goal. So it was only like when we got, I so I'd sort of visualised when they asked me before the game if I wanted to do it, putting it in the bottom corner past Terry because I thought, well, with that head on, there's no way he's getting down and pulling it off in the bottom corner. But then when you get to the seven aside goal, it's like those bottom corners look quite hard to hit because it's like, and you're only about eight yards out as well, so it's like I'm going to drag this wide. So. <laughs> You end up so that was that was the first thing, but then you spin round and like the dizziness does wear off quite quickly. I was surprised to learn, but like you are, you, you can't get your bearings at all. Like I was trying to sort of keep an eye on where the ball was so that I came out facing the right direction, and as you can see from the video, come out literally could not be facing further away from the ball. I didn't realise until I saw the video that you sent me just how close Rambo was. <laughs> and if I'd known that Rambo was so nearby, I absolutely would have taken him down with me. Um, and then Terry wandered off, uh, celebrating, I think, thinking I wasn't going to take the penalty because I'd fallen over. But I got back up and the dizziness does wear off quite quickly, as I say. But not quickly enough for me. I did consider while he was off celebrating, just running up and tapping it in on my left foot. But... I, I thought I can't run <laughs> and I don't want to <laughs> falling over once is fine but falling over twice is a bit much so 
uh, righted myself, got on my right foot, and I thought, I'll go top corner, and absolutely telegraphed it, and Terry, with a, a magnificent save, save of the season as far as I'm concerned. No, it was it was nice height for him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you ever get the chance, I really do recommend you do it. It's great fun being out there on the pitch. Genuinely, I <laughs> I commented after that that thing we did for the How to Town won the FA Cup, that event at Magic Rock, that I hadn't been nervous um, going up in front of the crowd, but I was nervous for the penalty because um, I just wanted to get it on target. That was the only thing. I just wanted to get the shot on target. I didn't care if I fell over. I didn't care if I scored. I just wanted to get it on target. So that's job done as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and as I said, I cannot repeat enough. This is not a Mickey-taking thing. If you're taking a dizzy penalty and you don't get dizzy and you slot it top corner, shame on you. <laughs> Are you going to be doing one if you get the chance? I, I've been... It's been mooted, but I will say, as Steve knows, the only problem is I have a very bad back. So the problem is if I hit the deck, I do not want the ungainly sight of John Sapulance having to come out with the orange stretcher, just waving to the crowd as they as they take me round. That is my issue. But if they're still there next season, give me the summer to get me back back in decent nick, and then yeah, I'm up for one. Uh, and shout out to the kid who just before we went on the pitch was shouting you're gonna miss at us <laughs> as well that was lovely um the only other regret i have is that i didn't take the chance to suck up to the crowd when rambo basically accused them of being illiterate i should have given it the full how dare you impugn the good name of these the best fans in the country i'll tell you i tell you why i want to do it I tell, and i'll be honest here terry the terrier He's arrogant. Walks around with a smile on his face, win, lose or draw. I'd like to wipe that smile off his face. There you go. Hope you're listening, Terry. Gauntlet's been laid down. I'd like to see him do a dizzy penalty as well. Yes. Turn the tables on him for a change. Yeah, have some of that. And Rambo as well. Let's let's get a petition <laughs> together for Rambo to do one as well. There we go. Fantastic. Right. Cheers, Dave, for all of your analysis, mostly of the penalty. And, uh, ooh, I think scheduling is going to make it very difficult for us to do a podcast between the two legs of the of the game uh of the playoffs so we'll be back with you after the playoffs whether that's uh on the way to Wembley or the end of the season and uh, we'll be back with you at some point in the middle of next week and thank you today for joining us goodbye goodbye Who's